Good evening and welcome to the EFL Preview with me, Adam Davis, here on Three Valleys Radio. What a season it's been. We know the fate of 66 clubs that took place in EFL competitions this season. We don't know yet the answer for the final six. As of course, we welcome all the teams to Wembley as we see the Championship, League One and League Two playoff finals taking place this bank holiday weekend. A highly anticipated set of fixtures, and of course that always leads to a highly anticipated preview show on the world's favourite EFL-based preview-based programme. As always, you can expect the same level of insight, analysis and interviews that you come to expect every single week from myself as we take a look at all three matches in considerable detail. We, of course, will start off with the important one. I only mean the important one based on the money involved. And that is, of course, the one taking place on Saturday, the 27th of May, finishing Coventry City versus Luton Town. The stage is set at Wembley Stadium for what is often billed as the richest game in football, which isn't technically true, but very, very important nonetheless. With Luton Town and Coventry City set to fight for a place in the Premier League in this Championship playoff final. Both sides dug a stake into the hearts of many North East football fans by defeating Sunderland and Middlesbrough in the semi-finals and are now just one step from riches and glory. Rob Edwards' Luton Town have history against them in their pursuit of becoming the first Bedfordshire-based Premier League side just nine years after their promotion from the fifth tier. That's because teams that have finished third in the Championship have failed to win five of the last eight playoff finals they have contested. Yet the spirit shown in Luton's comeback win over Sunderland, 3-2 on aggregate, along with a nine-game unbeaten run of head-to-heads against Coventry of five wins, uh, four wins sorry, and five draws, should give them confidence of improving that record. Despite the positives, Luton have often choked on the biggest stage with five defeats across their seven Wembley appearances. And that's not to mention their 100% losing record from two previous playoff finals in the National League. On the other hand, Coventry enter this with a much stronger Wembley win rate, and with an unbeaten EFL playoff record in tow, three wins and two draws, the Sky Blues may feel it is their time to shine. Of course, I've actually attended a uh, playoff final with Coventry City in. Uh, For many that know, although I'm a Yeovil fan, I was originally, and grew up a lot of my life, near Exeter. So going with friends of mine to the League 2 playoff back in 2018, and seeing them getting absolutely stuffed by the Sky Blues, brings back questionable memories. Coventry boss Mark Robbins has labelled this game one for the romantics, with the two combatants sharing a place in League Two just five years ago. Any lingering romanticism will evaporate when the whistle blows, as Robbins looks to cement his place in Coventry folklore by building on a run of just one defeat across their last 19 games, a run which began with a one-all draw against none other than Luton Town. Of course, two main players to look at going into this match, and it's the leading goal scorers for both sides. On a day for heroes, Luton may need their highest scorer in a competitive season in 30 years, Carlton Morris scoring 20 goals to step up with one last effort. Trying to better him will be Coventry's leading goal scorer, Victor Gurkarez. Coventry's Super Swede has contributed to more championship goals than any other player this season, after setting up the winner against Middlesbrough. 21 goals and 11 assists. And another fun hot stat for you. Luton have lost 12 of their last 15 competitive games played in London, conceding 3.3 goals per match across those defeats. A very, very exciting match there, which will prove obviously immensely important to the fans, the leadership and the players of each of the teams in tow. But let's not just take my word for it and we'll have our first big interview of the night and it will be from Luton Town. Boss, Rob Edwards. Rob, this club's not got a great history in the playoffs. Does that enter your thinking at all? No, not until you just said that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'd like to think we, we lifted our hoodoo a, a week ago and getting that win. Um, but no, it's not coming to our thinking. We'll just try and prepare as normally and... and uh, and go and do what we try and do. Go and try and be the best version of us on the day, and if we are, then we've got a right good chance. Stories are almost like a football fairy tale in a sense. Does the game on Saturday feel like destiny or football in faith? Mm. No, because I don't think it works like that. You know, I think 
whoever ends up winning, people can spin the story that way. I think with both these teams. So um, both can argue that they deserve it. Both can say they've been through tough times. In the end, only one can come out on top. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be whoever deserves it on the day. Any, we've got a full deck of cards to play with. Any injuries? Any Just Corley Woodrow still, unfortunately. Yeah, he's obviously not come. Um, he's not come through. He's tried everything. Bless him. Um, and we'll miss him. You know, he's been really important for us. I know he's not played or started every single game, but. He's, he's, he's been important for us, but unfortunately, he's not going to be. He's not going to be able to make it. Well, is that your your job in a way this week to keep people separated from the fairy tale? Um, the narrative is incredible. There are loads of them, um, but they, are you the guy who's got to sort of keep a clear head? And not I try and keep a clear head, um, <laughs> but it, you know, I know the magnitude of the game, and we all do. The lads do as well. So it's not like there's no point in. And not talking about it. I don't think there's anything wrong in that. And I think I've said openly, maybe to some of you guys before as well, there's nothing wrong with with dreaming and, and aiming for it. Um, we're there now, within touching distance. It's one game, so we know we're capable. So there's nothing wrong with that sort of side of it. But the one thing that we need to make sure we do is be the best version of us. So by doing that, we have to prepare as normally as possible. We have to... Um, we have to work as hard as we always do. We have to be as organised as, as we always are. And um, and if we get those bits right, then you stand a chance. You know, the, the basics that you hear people talk about all the time. If we get carried away and forget all of that stuff, then you've got no chance in a game like this. So I think you're right. My job then is just to make sure we can concentrate on the stuff that we can control, which is around the training ground, the pitch, what we do, and the focus on that. And I think we've done that so far. This place has played such a part in, in, in your rise. Not having it behind you, is that now a disadvantage to fact you in neutral territory? No, I don't think so, because I think our away form was just as good as our, our home form. So I don't see it that way. And I think we'll now we'll have 36 plus thousand people behind us. You know, so I just feel that we'll be will be supported even more. I know Coventry will have the same, but it'll make for a great atmosphere. And so far this season, the lads have have really risen to those big games and those big occasions really, really well. It's brought the best out in them. Last week was a good example of that. Watford here or going to Sheffield United away, you know, they've done well in big games and hopefully one more. Um, we can hopefully we can perform in, you know, in the biggest of them all. Not to be a game away on, you know, relatively modest budget, certainly by championship standards. It shows that it can be done the power of that, doesn't it? Yeah, I think uh, on that. There's a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for that. So, just start name checking everyone almost really, but Gary and the board for the plan and, and how they've, what they've done in bringing this club back from the depths over not that long a period really is incredible. Um, Mick Harford, whatever role he's been in, you know, he is a legend of this football club. In terms of the recruitment now with him, Jappy, Jay, and the recruitment team, without good players, you can't be a good coach or a good manager. Um, John Still, who I just saw knocking about before, that promotion out of the National League was arguably the most important one, arguably the hardest one to do. Um, so it's lovely to see him and him, him to wish, you know, my baby was talking to my dad after the game the other day and, and he was, you know, said some nice things to my dad and it meant a lot, you know, that, that was special. Um, and then obviously what Nathan has done, taking on, um, taking the club on then from League Two and, and upwards with, with again help from Mick and, and and one or two other people, Alan and Chris's assistants, they, they deserve a heck of a lot of credit. So there's been a plan, and you know the, the guys now who make the decisions, you know along with me now we won't we won't let the club ever get into that kind of place again. Um, so it shows you can do it, you can achieve something, you can get there, but you've got to have a plan, you've got to have consistency, you've got to recruit well, you've got to be savvy. Um, and then know what you are and try and be good at it. And I think that's what we've done really, really well. Yeah, I suppose when you came to the club, you probably had an idea of what you were walking into, but in a way, were you pleasantly surprised by quite how smart and savvy everything is in terms of that recruitment and just the general 
Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at a lot of the games, so when you're going in, you try and make yourself really aware of the players and you watch a lot of footage, so I'm prepared when I'm having my interview, etc. and I'm talking about the, the squad. So what I could see was a really good group of players that were being very competitive and were, were in a good position in the league. Um, but then you don't see everything then behind and all of the really good people, the great people that are here that put so much time and effort in to help the club run really smoothly um, and really effectively. And obviously you've met a lot of them that are around here today, whether they're dealing with the press or whether they're dealing with the tickets downstairs or you know whatever it might whatever it might be. Brilliant people here. And someone just down there just asked me a minute ago, you know, oh, you know, part, you know, got promoted last year and you know doing this now and you know you've got the winning form. You know you know what it is, and I tell you what it is, good people. I'm around good people. Forest Green had really good people there. Mark Cooper had five years before me. And he had support and time. He had Richard Hughes, who was the director of, director of football, who's now at Portsmouth. He's really good at what he does. So I had good players. That's what I had. So I had good players, a team that had finished in the playoffs the year before, much like Luton Town now. So I thought, good people, good players, a plan, time. They're used to winning. We could be successful there. That's why I left the FA. I thought, yeah, we can win there. And we did. Um, probably went against my better judgment then with the next one. but. You know, got back on track now with this one. Support, time, good people, good players. Got in the playoffs last year. They're used to winning. We can win here. It's not down to me. It's down to everyone and the plan that the club have got. I honestly think that anyone could have come in and done what I've done that this year. It's been pretty easy. It's been pretty easy just to keep things going. Um, I'm just really lucky that they picked me. I'm not giving myself any credit. Other people can do that. I'm never going to do that. Yeah, he has. He's, he's tried everything. He's had some injections. He's had various things and lots and lots of treatment. It's just really unfortunate, Mike, that he couldn't, you know, it was just the turnaround time was too quick. He tried to get it going before before this, the second semi-final. God, that must have been longer ago than I think now, 10 days ago or something like that, and, and, it, and it just it didn't feel right. Probably just setting back a little bit as well. It was, it was probably a gamble worth taking, do you know what I mean, to be, try and be fit for such an important game. Uh, but I love him to bits, and he's going to be so important for us going forward. You know, he'll be with us on the day and, uh, and helping in his own way now. But you obviously feel for him because it's everyone's dream to be involved in a game like this. It is, and again, a lot of people deserve a, a lot of credit. The lads are so professional these days. Um, but the S&C team, the physios, you know, worked really hard, worked around the clock in, in trying to keep people fit and fresh and, uh, and get them out there. It's hard in the championship because there's so many games, it's so physical, it's demanding, and, and especially the way we play, we demand, you know, we demand that the lads run and work really hard, as you know. So, yeah, it's really good that we're in this position with, with a really healthy squad going into the game. It's, it's a positive. You mentioned Yeah, I mean, we we did we have changed the size of the pitch to um, to the same as Wembley's, but uh, we've not made a massive thing of it to be honest. Because like I said, then we, our, our, we had the second best away record in the championship this season, so we've gone to loads of big pitches and done well. So it's not a big issue for me. Um, we'll go there and try and be what we are and, and try and be the best us, which, you know, we're, we're going to run, we're going to try and press, we're going to try and do the things that we do well. And, um, you know, at times you can't do it every single minute of, of, of the game, but, um, yeah, we, we, we don't see a, a few yards wider and longer too much of, a, of an issue. Gives us some good confidence. It was nice to see us. I felt the, the real, you know, our team back and back at our best. I think um, the three games leading up to the playoff games were difficult. You know, we had loads of discussions, didn't we, about it? How do we manage that? The mentality that we already know we're in the playoffs. We know pretty much we've known for quite a long time. But then it was confirmed with three games to go. Middles were the same. The two teams, I suppose, both then we both played each other. It was weird. Uh, they made some changes. Um, 
you know, we tried to keep a bit of consistency for, for the Middlesbrough and Blackburn game. Um, made changes for Hull, felt it made sense going into you know, the Sunderland game to, to, to look after players then. So I felt that we just had a bit of a... We weren't necessarily ourselves for those few games, but I could understand it. Um, I thought first half against Sunderland we were, second half we weren't as good. They're going to have their moments, they're at home in front of 40-odd thousand, they're good, they're good, they're supposed to have a period in the game. But even when we weren't great, they didn't have many opportunities. Um, and, you know, we limited them to pretty much nothing here and, you know, fully deserved it in the end by, you know, just booting it. Plenty of excitement for us there going into the Saturday game. We are going to slightly change uh, chronology, shall we say, as, of course, we're actually going to move to the Bank Holiday Monday fixture next, simply because that is the League One player final. Yes, a little bit odd. In the past, we all know that it usually goes League Two, League One, and then Championship when they do the playoff final day. Then last season, they switched it to Championship, League One, League Two. And for some bizarre reason, they've decided today that they're going to go with Championship, League Two, League One in terms of the set of fixtures over the weekend. Never mind, we will keep it to standard and go with Championship, League One, and then League Two. A cynic may claim that they don't particularly want all of South Yorkshire invading all of London over the course of the bank holiday weekend, and they'll keep it to just the Monday. But that's just a cynic speaking. So let's cover this game. And of course, I've mentioned the fact that it's two teams from South Yorkshire going into the League One playoff final. We've got Sheffield Wednesday versus Barnsley. The League One playoff final between the Owls and the Tykes may be the most difficult to call in the entirety of the EFL. Barnsley sealed their win to the final with a 1-0 win over Bolton Wanderers at Oakwell last Friday. The tie was level going into the game, following a one-all draw at the University of Bolton Stadium, that's the Reebok to you and I, in the first leg. But Liam Kitching's 24th minute header was enough to settle the clash and set up a South Yorkshire derby at Wembley Stadium on Bank Holiday Monday. Wednesday, of course, booked their place at Wembley after a remarkable comeback against Peterborough United in the semi-final. After a full nil defeat at the Western Home Stadium in the first leg, Darren Moore's side miraculously won the second leg 5-1 after extra time at Hillsborough on Thursday night to take the game to penalties. They ended up winning 5-3 on penalties to complete an incredible turnaround. It was one of the greatest EFL comebacks as no team had ever overcome more than a two-goal deficit in playoff history underlying the size of Wednesday's achievement. Don't suppose anyone could name you a team that did a two-goal deficit in the playoff semi-finals at any point, could we? It will be a third against fourth on Monday the 29th of May and will kick off at 3pm. However, it's certainly not a foregone conclusion who will come out victorious, considering Michael Duff's side have won both clashes between the pair this season, including a 2-0 victory at Hillsborough in September and a 4-2 win at Oakwell in March. Of course, that's even though Sheffield Wednesday ended up finishing on 96 points this season. George Ellick of the Not The Top 20 podcast, another EFL-based podcast we don't normally talk about too much here, believes Sheffield Wednesday go into the tie as favourites. He said he personally did not think uh, did think that Sheffield Wednesday will win, and he's a huge fan of the Barnsley side, and it's no criticism of them if you get 96 points in a season and you come back from 4-0 down to win a playoff semi-final, there's not much more you can do and try and get promotion. However, he's been hugely impressed with Barnsley. Alec added, it's just a really well-rounded, good out-of-possession side, who consistently create good opportunities for open play and set pieces. A really awkward opponent for Sheffield Wednesday as well. Out of the three finals, Alec and I probably agree, as this is the hardest one to call, despite backing Wednesday as things stand. He continued, I've still got a sneaky feeling they're the one of the outsiders of the three, with Luton, Sheffield Wednesday and Stockport as his three favourites. I think League One is the one where it will, I would think it's more of a coin toss in his mind right now. It's hard, of course, to disagree with Alec, and this is an incredibly difficult game to call. Wednesday will have good momentum given the nature of their progression to the final, but it's hard to ignore Barnsley. It's definitely the hardest final to call, with Stockport the clear league uh, favourites in League 2, and Luton at very least solid favourites in the Championship given their impressive record we've already spoken of. 
So a very, very exciting one there that we don't quite know how it's going to go. As I've already kind of alluded to that, I really do think um, Sheffield Wednesday are slightly in the driving seat. But I've actually had the pleasure of speaking to a few Sheffield Wednesday fans over the last couple of days going into this match. And it all largely surrounds the type of play that Barnsley will employ. Of course, Wembley is famously the largest pitch in England and as a result normally favours teams of a high possession style. This is slightly different when Barnsley are so powerful in the press versus a team so focused on possession, Sheffield Wednesday. They love playing out of the back and it's worked wonders for the last parts of the season, uh, scoring well over 60% of possession in most of their matches this season, often topping 70 against some of the smaller sides. But Barnsley are one of the top teams for pressing and a real not give Sheffield Wednesday any time at all. If they play out of the back, it could be really quite catastrophic. And this is actually what led to the two defeats uh, for Sheffield Wednesday against Barnsley across the course of this season. Often trying to take the ball round from the back, taking it nice and simple, but one step too far. Barnsley strikers are on them and then will capitalise. They can't necessarily create too much of themselves in open play from Barnsley, but just getting one on the counter could do wonders. And of course, there's very, very few that will shut up shop. A particularly interesting stat here is that uh, one that actually will apply to a famous footballing cliche, talking about being the first goal being uh, most important. What we mean by this, of course, is actually... um, Barnsley score one of the best teams in the entire EFL of getting wins once they are the teams that have scored first, but have never overturned a deficit at any point this season if they are the ones that concede first. A very, very exciting event there. I'm not too sure how it's going to go, but I'm looking very much forward to see how it develops. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At A.J. Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. Two finals down, one to go. And this one is taking place on Sunday. Carlisle United versus Stockport County in the League 2 playoff final. Carlisle United take on Stockport County on Wembley, of, uh, on Wembley, at Wembley on Sunday. The Cumbrians booked their place in the final with a 3-1 victory over Bradford City at Brunton Park on Saturday, where a certain EFL host was there. After a 1-0 defeat in the first leg at the University of Bradford Stadium, that's Valley Parade to you and I, Paul Simpson's side turned the game around, taking the lead through Brad Halliday's own goal in the 21st minute to send the game to extra time. The hosts doubled their advantage when Callum Guy's half-volley made it past Harry Lewis before Matt Derbyshire pulled one back for the Bantams to level the tie. But the Cumbrians responded again and won the game in the 112th minute when Ben Barkley headed home Owen Moxon's cross. Stockport sealed their progression after beating Salford City 3-1 on penalties, following a 2-1 win after extra time at Edgeley Park on Saturday, which made it 2-all in aggregate. That, of course, means that both teams uh, turned around their fate in the second legs. Dave Challoner's side were beaten 1-0 at the Peninsula in the first leg, but they took the lead through Isaac Olafay's 68th-minute header to send the time to extra time. Stephen Milan's deflected strike restored the Ami's advantage in the 112th minute, but Jack Stretton's close-range header for the host just three minutes later ensured penalties would be needed. Hatter's goalkeeper Ben Hinchcliffe saved from Adrian Mariapa and Milan before Anthony Sarsovic scored the decisive spot kick to stand Stockport through. 
Carlisle would return to League One for the first time since 2014 with victory this weekend, while it would be a complete remarkable recovery from Stockport, ending a 13-year absence without the third tier, in which they have dropped as far as, of course, the National League North. What is the latest Carlisle and Stockport County team news, you ask? Well, Carlisle will be without defender Ben Barkley following his semi-final heroics as he was unable to play against his parent club, with Simpson omitting the 26-year-old will be missed. But the Cumbrians will be boosted by the return of John Millish, who missed the previous three games through suspension, while Captain Morgan Feeney will also be available. Stockport have a nearly fully fit squad to choose from, but top scorer Kyle Wootton will likely remain sidelined after injury kept him out of the previous six matches. Of course, we don't always have to guarantee that uh, they will have to rely on top scorer Kyle Wootton. I believe they've got a certain striker in their ranks, known by Paddy Madden. So, enough about me talking, let's listen from Carlisle United boss Paul Simpson. Uh, Paul, what kind of week has it been with the excitement of that and then the excitement that's to come? Exciting. It's been a, it's been a great week. I mean, wow, if you, can't, uh, if you can't get up for a week like this, we've got serious problems, haven't we? It was a brilliant occasion on Saturday. Um, I've got to say, I was absolutely shattered after it. It was real uh, mentally and physically draining, the day was, um, and, and, and the way all the... the there is a celebration at night. Um, I was ready for bed by about nine o'clock, though. It was. Uh, it just felt like a long day. And then uh, it's been a big thing. I mean, I, I've got to say that the staff over in the office in, in the East Stand have been absolutely magnificent this week. Everybody's come in and they're, they're pulling together and getting tickets sold. And, you know, there's been a backlog because of the early rush for it. And credit to them there, they're, for me, they're the stars this week in this early part of the week they've been outstanding so big thank you to them um, and the players have got about it in the right way we've had some good training days we got them back in on Monday because I wanted them to come back down to earth I wanted them to start thinking about football again the celebration bit has gone I wanted them back in and, and let's get the football right um, we've dealt with all of the planning and the tickets and travel and all the, the the sort of periphery stuff that you have to get dealt with we've dealt with that now um, they're going to get a rest day and then we'll be back in and ready with the final bits of preparation ready to to go down to london worth mentioning that family members have been in to help your wife amongst them how do you manage this paul there's that bit there you said it on saturday you described it as some of the stuff that goes on has to be dealt with how do you park that and get the players really focused on the job well that's where i wanted it done early part of the week and um Myself and Sarah, we, we sat down a couple of weeks ago, Sarah McKnight, and, and said, look, because there's such a, a quick turnaround, we need to have something in place. And it, myself and Sarah did it quietly. Nobody else knew about it. There was no, you know, it's not a case of we're being arrogant and we think we're going to be there because we knew it was a tough ask. But Sarah, but we had the conversation, Sarah went and put all the provisional stuff in place that needed to be done with a a really clear plan of what was going to happen and literally as I came across the pitch on Saturday evening after doing my media she was stood there waiting we sat in the dugout for five ten minutes and said right are you still wanting the plan as we've discussed and it was you like, yes let's go let's get it all let's crack on um, so she's been brilliant doing all of that and and all the players now know exactly what they've got they've, they've all got the ticket orders in and bought the tickets that they need to do they're getting them all today so they can get them all dispersed as, as they need to because when we come back into train on Friday and Saturday, it's about football. It's about dealing with the football side of it, right? And they all know that. They know where we, where we you know, w w what we need to do and where we're going to be. And um, I think that's the really important part of it that we've dealt with all of that and we now can crack on with the football side of it. It is different though, Paul. Everybody has to acknowledge that. It's, it's the fact that it's such a huge game on a huge stage and everybody knows where they're going. They're not playing here at Brunton Park. It's a, a special trip with a huge prize. Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely fantastic to be involved in it. Um, I, ju I accept it's really difficult for the supporters because the travel's a nightmare. We're such a long way from, from Wembley and there's trains that can't get you there on time and all of that. And you know, I'm I'm hearing stories about the prices that coach companies are charging, which is outrageous, um, and it's a horrible part of 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 this of these situations that 
everybody looks at it as a money-making exercise and it's wrong because the, the, the supporter on the street is the one who suffers. Um, but I hope we can get good numbers down. I totally understand that there's a lot of people who would love to be there, can't be there, but I'm quite sure we'll have a good following. And if they can't make it down there, I'm quite sure we'll have a good vocal following, watching on TVs, watching on the screens, wherever it might be. And um, we've just got to make sure that we go and my message will be play the game, not the occasion. We've got to enjoy the occasion, I, I accept that. Um, but we have to play the game. And I remember going back I don't even remember what year it was. My first experience of Wembley was with Manchester City in the uh, full Members' Cup final, and I got so nervous about the day that I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy it. I didn't, didn't enjoy anything about it, and I made a promise that if I ever got a chance to go back, I had to enjoy it in case there was never another. Um, and that's what I've always tried to do. And results haven't really gone my way when I've been at Wembley, but I've made sure I've, I've. Um, appreciated the experience and, and appreciated everything about the day the fact that we played Bradford made those two semi-final games huge in themselves has it encouraged you with the way that the group has, has dealt with this massively encouraged me um, you know I, I, I've said it before and I accept it we, we were nervous at the start but I think once we got over that nerves we showed that we could we could deal with the situation and if we're ever going to get nervous, it's going to be in the second leg here. We're a goal down. We're in front of our biggest crowd for years inside the ground. An incredible atmosphere was created by both sets of supporters, I will say. And um, the players showed that they can deal with it. I thought our level of performance was probably, it's fair to say, as good as we've had for a long time. And I'm just hoping now that we've learned how to deal with the nervous part of it. We've learned how to deal with the occasion. We've learned to to cope with live TV cameras and now we have to go and show that we can cope with it on what I think is the biggest stage in English football. And that adrenaline energy, whatever it is, it was harnessed and used in the right way, wasn't it? Everybody was really at it. Oh God, without a doubt. I mean, I look at the um, the physical data from the game and lads were covering distances that they've not done. Well, they haven't done it since pre-season even. We didn't, we, had, we didn't have a day. We had a player who did sort of 15, 16K another one 13 and a half they're all up around those figures you know that is some going because we don't we don't generally run those sort of distances in in a normal game and certainly even on our toughest training days we probably wouldn't do that distance so they've shown they've got the, the physical capabilities for it they've shown they've got the mental ability to deal with it what I want to do now I'm challenging them can you go and do it one more time we may need another another few players to do 15 kilometers and and, and deal with the whole mental side of it. But I think they've shown that they've, they've certainly got the mentality for it and hopefully we can do that. What a job you've got on to select just 11 to start on, on such a big stage. Yeah, it's a lovely challenge to have. Um, I'd much rather be trying to select an 11 and an 18 rather than being on my holidays now. Um, it's a lovely challenge and it's great. Um, everybody wants to be involved. We've got a, f a full group. Um, Finn back obviously is not going to be available. I've already spoke about him weeks ago. Jack Ellis isn't going to be available. Apart from that, we've got a full full squad to choose from, and um, they all want to be involved. They're all doing the right things and making the right noises. And I know there'll be some disappointment, but I also know once they're over that disappointment, every single person will be wanting the best for us. You kindly let us show that video from after the game and the team talk up to, to the fans, and they can see the togetherness. That's a fact, isn't it? That whoever is picked, the rest of them are there. Yeah, they are. Yeah, there is a. Um, you know, I've said this before, every time we come in from a home game, the first players to greet the, the players, the, the, the lads involved in the match, are the ones who are not involved. They're always in there, so there is a good togetherness. There's a real spirit about it. Um, my only disappointment from that video going out was the fact that I swore on it. I, I let my emotions go too far, so I apologise about that. Um, but they are, they're together. They want success, They want to do it, and this is success. If we can achieve it, wow what an achievement it'll be it'll be fantastic for everybody involved not just the players but the staff the office staff the everybody who's connected with the football club for the directors who've been through the mill the supporters who've had a tough few years um, we've all got so much to look forward on the day and I really want it to be a successful day for us. I've tried not to, but I did. I looked at League One as it is now, the shape of it. What a division to be in. That's the incentive, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm going to tell you the truth. I haven't looked at it. I'm not, uh, 
I'm not looking that far ahead. My focus is Saturday, uh, Sunday, sorry, um, making sure we're ready for this day, making sure we're ready to go and perform. And if we do perform and we deserve it, then we'll be in League One, and I certainly will look at the league table then and and, and see what what we're going to be up against, who we're going to face. Um, Otherwise, it's prepare for League Two if it's not the right right performance from us. You called it way back in was it June? Yeah, it was June when we all got back together, wasn't it? It's going to be a marathon. It's been one heck of a marathon. It would be nice to to win that marathon, wouldn't it? Oh wow, wouldn't it just? I mean, I think back. It was June the twenty second was our first day of pre season. We're talking eleven months of work, you know, and that's. I think back to my my days in a, as a player. I remember getting eight weeks of solid rest and not having to do anything players might get four weeks this time so it's a, it's a long old slog and let me tell you that isn't a complaint because we are really fortunate to be involved in professional football really really lucky people this has been a really good season now can we go and make it a fantastic season and really be able to go and enjoy everything last time you were here it was Cardiff and Stoke this time it's Wembley will this be a little bit more special leading the team out on that on that surface yeah of course it will because that's my dreams as a kid was to play at Wembley it's where you want to be so um, my days of, of walking out as a player have gone um, so now I've got the opportunity to lead him out as manager um, I led Shrewsbury out as, as a manager there in the playoff final um, I've been there as an assistant with Steve McLaren and um, I'm looking forward to it I really am I'm, um, it's going to be proud isn't it it's, uh, day to look forward to. What's it going to mean for the family? Um, it's a great day out isn't it to start with, they'll enjoy it I'm quite sure I di uh, Jack is in a really di difficult position with uh, with Jake in the other dugout um, I know where her allegiance is, she wants Carlisle United to win, it says that's absolute 100% um, it's, got, it's a good day, we've got everybody there my mum and dad are there um, both of the boys, uh, the other boys are going to be there, so it's a great day out. Something that that we've all um, sort of gone through and made sacrifices for. I know that sounds really a bit twee, really, but we have we have had to move up and down the country because of football. Um, we've all stuck together, and whatever happens this weekend, I'm quite sure we'll stick together again. There comes a point when your job, your staff's job, is done and it's over to the players. What's the last thing you say to them for an occasion like this? the same as every other one go and enjoy yourself and that's I've learnt that in football that you have to go and enjoy yourself um, there will be a message of finding a way to win but it's go and enjoy yourself go and savour every moment of the occasion and I, I genuinely do believe you enjoy things much more when you win on days like this there's another team there Stockport they'll be thinking exactly the same oh no there's no doubt about it they've um, They've been gearing up to be successful as a football club and as a team for the last few years with the investment from the new owner that's come in and the way they're going about it. They um, they expected at the start of the season to, to be promoted, so there's, there is an expectancy there that probably wasn't with us. But now that we're there, we expect to win. We, we are going to go and do everything we possibly can to win. And the challenge is who can, who can deal with the game better. We know that we went through really two really tough semi-final games I've watched their games against Salford they had two really tough games that had to go to penalties so I think it's set up to be a really good game of football I hope it's as good an advert for League 2 football as our two games against Bradford City were I hope there's um, the same level of mutual respect that went between Bradford and us um, as in the supporters as in the players and certainly the staff because Mark and Mark Hughes and Glyn Hodges were absolutely superb after the game and um, I hope it's a good advert for League 2 football. Talking of staff everybody's nationals are all really interested in the fact that it's father-son in the dugout, it's bound to be, because it is a quirky story. What's it like for you to have, have your boy in the opposite dugout? It's going to be tough um, I'll have to watch what I'm saying um, but it's, it, when the game starts it's no different, I, I mean I, I remember going back to the Stockport game when we played at Stockport and I went out the dressing room early, which I always do. I let the players have the last couple of minutes on their own. And I went and I, I got in the dugout. And I looked across and Jake was there. And, I, and I'd forgotten that he was there. But I was just, my mind was on the game. And he sort of come up and 
it was like a bit of an uncomfortable what do we do but I always give him a hug so I give him a hug and same here <laughs> it'll be the same at Wembley um, I just hope I'm smiling at the end and he's not it could go to penalties and you've already told us you confirmed that you practiced that for the semi-final legs as well so that won't come as a shock to the players that's something they're ready for oh no they're ready they're ready for whatever happens we've prepared for penalties last week and the, the, the preparation for it has continued this week It'll continue all the way through to our last session on Saturday as well. Um, not not because, and I said this to them at the start of last week, I'm not doing it because I expect it to go to penalties, but I'm doing it just in case it goes to penalties. And something I learned from the FA was a thing that we did. It wasn't a case of practising penalties because you can't, um, you can't simulate the emotions that are going to go through players' minds, but you can prepare yourself for them by coming up with whatever process you want to do to, to prepare for penalties. So that's what we're saying. It's not a practice, it's a preparation for it because penalties, people say it's down to luck, it's not luck. Taking a penalty is a professional skill and if you can hone those skills by, by doing it repetitively, you've got a better chance of being successful and um, we're doing all the preparation I hope it doesn't come to it. I hope we can deal with it in 90 or 120. If it does come to penalties, then we will be prepared. That doesn't mean that we're going to be better prepared than anybody else, but we will be prepared for it. Copper players who have never experienced anything like Sunday before, even including what we did against Bradford. Is this where the experience of, of yourselves, people like Hunt, Steno, who've been there, can they help with that? Yeah, I think um, I think over the whole season, the experience of myself, of Gavin, of um, Paul Gerrard, of, of Greg Abbott, we've all been through these things. But the experience of the players has helped the others as well, the other players who've not been through it. So it's not a case of one particular person, staff or player doing a job. It's everybody will all be able to do it. I'm quite sure there's young players in that change room who can show a calming influence and a helpful can be helpful to somebody else and I think that's the good thing in, in there that we've got a group of players who all understand other people's needs and there's times where somebody needs to be left on their own to get their own thoughts together somebody needs to have a conversation with, with somebody else and I think that's where what we've learnt about each other going back to start of June and then when we went up to Largs for pre-season training where we lived with each other for five days you learn about personalities you learn about what makes somebody tick and what, what knocks people off and um, we're still learning we don't know it all but um, I think those experiences that we've all lived and been through we will have to put into practice to help each other this weekend Just finally Paul I spoke to a couple of the lads already this week and they've got a theme Wembley's for winners there seems a real awareness of this is a great occasion, mm. but there's something that we need to achieve at the end of it. I think this is different, isn't it, in a playoff final? And, and, and unfortunately, I, I'm talking from experience here because there's nothing for second place in a playoff final, nothing at all. Um, when you go to a cup final, you get a runners-up medal, you still make the walk up the steps and everything. As a playoff loser, there's nothing. You have to be a winner. So Wembley is about winning. Nobody, unless you're a real football stato, you'd no idea who, who lost in playoff finals. You know who's been promoted, you don't know who's lost it. And um, we have to do everything we possibly can. There's no guarantee because we're going with a positive attitude that we will win. We have to do everything to try and find a way to win. Paul, thank you. I appreciate that was a bit of a longer one there for you, but I really do like listening to Paul Simpson. I think he's just so unbelievably open. He clearly cares so much about Carlisle, of which he's had some great success over his two stints as manager, of course, but really does care. And it's so nice and refreshing to hear when managers really do say what they actually think, sometimes all a little bit too rare. But... Don't go uh, anywhere quite yet. We've still got a little bit of extra time to talk about all the... Uh, a little bit of something extra for the EFL review. This today, of course, this brings us to the end of the... Uh, well, this is the last EFL preview, of course. So that means we needed to review the whole of the last season. We know, we know the fate, of course, of already 66 of the 72 clubs that competed in the EFL this season. The six games, uh, the six remaining teams in the final three playoff matches. Of course, we've gone into great depth over the last 40 to 45 minutes. But 
I would just like to go a little bit over the team of the seasons. Now, the EFL released their own official uh, team of the season, uh, spread around about the back end of April. But I wanted to go through those uh, players in turn to give them a little bit of a little bit of praise across all three leagues, just for a little bit of time, just to wrap up this season nicely, and then potentially a few players that I feel they may have omitted. So. We will start with the Skybet Championship. And because, of course, it's a uh, team of the season, we will start with the manager. And really, this could only go to one person. That went to Vincent Company of Burnley. Let's be honest, what an amazing job he's done. You know, they, they, there was so much change going on at Burnley when they were relegated. They'd lost the manager that had been there for so long in the form of Sean Dyche. Lost slash sacked, I appreciate. But um, new owners, new philosophy, new style. Everyone kind of thought they knew what Burnley Football Club played like. They don't play like that anymore. Some amazing free-flowing stuff from Vincent Company. Really, really weathered the, the storm that could have started. Really, st People forget they didn't pick up the first couple of wins and people were seriously asking and questioning the, uh, the intensity and the integrity of Vincent Company. But my word, what football they played since then. So, the 11 of players that they chose to sit in the team of the season. This one is a little bit of an odd one in terms of their formation. I think I think the way to describe it would be a very, very loose 4-4-2, shall we say? So in goal, we've got Ben Wilson of Coventry City. He was brilliant. He's picked up so many clean sheets. Uh, was absolutely instrumental in the turnaround, uh, in the uh, playoff semi-finals, most recently against Middlesbrough. So that one was a really good one. Well done to his inclusion. Ainet Muric has been pretty good. Wes Fodringham's probably the other one that stood out for me that could have played, uh, been in the team of the season. At right back, it'll be a favourite for all of us of a Glover's persuasion as it sits Connor Roberts. And he's been absolutely fantastic there, picking up so many assists from right back and really just being able to make that position his own. We're all very little bit confirmed. I was a little bit uh, shocked when he got bought by Burnley when they were in the Premier League. Sort of was holding his own there, not too bad in what was a very naff Burnley side and one of the few that actually kind of survived the cull following relegation. But aren't we glad he did? Back to, I think these were definitely my two favourite centre-backs in Anel Ekman Hodzvich of Sheffield United and Tom Lockyer of Luton Town. Absolutely nothing got past either of these two. Tom Lockyer, you're very much your traditional British defender that you would expect, something that would have not looked too dissimilar uh, from 1970s and 80s football, whereas Anel Ekman Hodzvich is what you would definitely class as the modern centre-back. Tall, strong, fast, but my word, can he pass? At left-back, Ian Matson on loan, uh, I believe, from Chelsea, but playing, of course, for Burnley. Again, really, really good. Very similar to Connor Roberts. Both of them were given so much freedom by Vincent Company to just run forward and create as many assists as they could. Very, very uh, successful. Always useful when you've got someone like a uh, target man, like Ashley Barnes, of course, at the other end. Central midfield now, we've got Alex Scott of Bristol City and Josh Brownhill of Burnley. Yes, there is quite a few of Burnley in this team. Alex Scott, very much one of the new kids on the block and looked really exciting in what is often a very underwhelming Bristol City side. Being able to piece together things, um, a real playmaker and so fantastic for a player as young as he is. Uh, an actual Guernsey native as well, which is quite interesting. Josh Brownhill very much picked up where he left off, where he'd been in the Premier League. Of course, he's uh, formerly Bristol City as well, but he um, has very much had his Premier League experience. I think he's got well over 100 Premier League appearances now when he was with Burnley. But he's got a drop down in the Championship. Absolutely no problem at all. I suppose what we've got now on the wings, which may be in more advanced role, if I had to go my full match of the day uh, analysis. On the wings, we've got Nathan Teller of Burnley and Illaman Indai of Sheffield United. And these two are probably the most obvious of the winger choices. Nathan Teller and Illaman Indai, you could not take the ball off either of them this uh, this season. Both of them looked absolutely amazing. A real uh, talent, both for them. Uh, Nathan Teller, of course, on loan from Southampton. Southampton will need to do everything in their power to keep hold of him. Him, as he absolutely tore apart the championship this year and with them being in the championship next year it seems fairly obvious. Elman and Dai will now be able to play his trade in the Premier League next year of course uh, leading Sheffield United to promotion. Up front the two leading scorers in the league fairly obvious for me Chubarak Pom of Biddlesbrough and Victor Gerkerez of Coventry City. A really impressive and I think probably an accurate uh, starting 11 that I would have picked for a team of the season as I've already mentioned maybe Wes Fodringham in gold is another one I'd have considered but outside of that probably what I'd have chosen 
Moving on to League One then, and we'll start with the manager once again. Really, this can only be one man. And that is Stephen Schumacher of Plymouth Argyle. When Ryan Lowe got poached by Preston last year, I think a lot of people were really concerned about how Plymouth were going to do and how much they had to rely on their famous scouse manager. Well, what they actually ended up doing was relying on a different scouse manager. Stephen Schumacher took up the role from assistant to be permanent manager and was absolutely fantastic and has done wonders with the Pilgrims. In goal uh, is another Plymouth contingent, as is the right-back, as we've got Michael Cooper and Bally Mumba. Michael Cooper, prior to his injury, you was like a brick wall. It was absolutely fantastic. Some of the saves he was pulling off really did keep Plymouth in, in games against wins that, at the beginning of the season, where it was absolutely crucial, where it, very, as always, can very much make or break a season. With so many of the clubs that ended up in the playoffs in, in League One this year going very much on later runs, Plymouth setting the early pace and being at the top of the table for so long actually I think was really important and the fact that Michael Cooper was keeping so many clean sheets during that time was absolutely testament. A real shame he picked up such a nasty injury around just after Christmas if I remember rightly which completely curtailed his season. Not bad for someone who's still under 21. Bally Mumber, of course, uh, was actually on loan from Norwich and has been very, very exciting throughout this and, will be, I think, uh, stands a really good chance of trying to compete in the Championship next season for Norwich starting. That is, of course, reliant on the fact that they don't still have Max Ahrens, uh, who also equally is a very, very talented fullback for Norwich. But very, very exciting there and has picked up a few goals as well and all round what you would consider a successful loan spell. Left back, we've got Leif Davis of Ipswich. And actually, there aren't as many Ipswich town players in here as I perhaps guessed. Um, I think many people would have guessed this was probably a slight drop for Leif Davis here, who, of course, was competing the Premier League on and off whilst at... Uh, at Leeds, uh, which is where he's originally from, um, and has had a small stint at Bournemouth as well. So has competed in the top echelons of the EFL and the Premier League. Dropping down to Ipswich, there are two main reasons. One of them is most certainly game time. The other one's definitely money. But has still um, matched his uh, lofty ambitions by competing very, very well and will be able to play back again in the Championship next season. At the back, we've got Mads Anderson of Barnsley and Ricardo Santos of Bolton. Both of them really, really impressive there. Both of them captains, so most certainly plenty of leadership in this team already. I think I can already see at least two other captains that are going to be in this t uh, 11 as well. So the League One team of the season, full of leaders. Mads Anderson, fantastic in the air. Ricardo Santos, uh, big, strong, and more importantly, incredibly fast. Both of them uh, have led decent, uh, decent stance, and um, unsurprisingly, really, they were probably both immensely crucial to why it was such a low-scoring playoff semi-final between Barnsley and Bolton. Now, this one, uh, the midfield gets even weirder, but I think central midfield for League One uh, is Barry Bannon of Sheffield Wednesday and Connor Hurahan of Derby County. Barry Bannon, for me, seems absolutely obvious. That man should not be playing in League One, and part of me really hopes that he won't be next season because he'll be going up with Sheffield Wednesday. But Barry Bannon has been fantastic. He's playing some of the balls and the, uh, dictating play like nobody else in the league. Really, really exciting. Very, very in um, nice guy as well. He's, he comes across incredibly well. All you've got to do is go and listen to the uh, the interviews, obviously, from a few episodes ago talking about uh, when they turned around. must have been last episode or two. Um getting the uh, turning around the deficit against Peterborough United in the playoff semi-final talk about truly how much this club means to him well done for that Connor Hurahan on the other hand has slightly gone I would argue slightly under the radar this season Derby brought in a few uh, incredibly experienced heads uh, Michael Collins David McGoldrick Connor Hurahan were all people that spring to mind David McGoldrick has most certainly picked up uh, plenty of goals Collins has picked up Plenty of injuries, but Conor Hurahan has sort of quietly done quite well. Him next to Josh Knight in the middle of midfield has done very, very well for Derby. Um, what I think of someone else to replace him with, there's no one that's really springing to mind, thinking about who might sit in the midfield. But out of everyone else that's um, in the remainder of this 11, he's probably the one that I think would be most open to change. On the wings, we've got Connor Chaplin and Josh Windass. Connor Chaplin of Ipswich Town, Josh Windass of Sheffield Wednesday. 
kind of a little bit of a stretch here. It's more the fact the two that we haven't mentioned yet are definitely strikers. But Connor Chaplin and Josh Windass have been very much more tens this year. So a very narrow formation for the League One team of the season. Connor Chaplin getting plenty of goals. Second, a joint top scorer with someone else we're yet to mention this season. Did really, really well. And I think will uh, stand good stead going into the championship. Josh Windass is not just the famous son of Dean and has played very well, very well this season. And for the... For a, once and unfortunately this has sort of played Josh Windass's career throughout um wherever clubs he's been at the likes of Rangers and Wigan has been injuries but he stayed relatively injury free this year had a good run and and particularly went under an amazing run of form where he scored something like nine in 11 games around about Christmas time so a worthy inclusion up front, we've got Aaron Collins of Bristol Rovers and Johnson Clark Harris of Peterborough United. Both of them absolutely fantastic in very uh, inconsistent sides. Peterborough United, the most inconsistent of inconsistent, of course. Um, can go one day and pick up 4-0 against a team that scored 96 points and then go get thumped 5-1 four days later. But Johnson Clark Harris has always been the one to guarantee the goals, both when he was at Peterborough United and Bristol Rovers just before, which nicely brings us on to Bristol Rovers' current top scorer, Aaron Collins. Aaron Collins is single-handedly the only reason Bristol Rovers have remained in what was a fairly decent return to League One football after being in League Two the prior year. Aaron Collins is scoring plenty of goals. The number actually escapes me now, but it must be pretty close to the, uh, that scored by Johnson Clark Harris and Connor Chaplin. So a really, really impressive performance by them. Not too bad for the League One team of the season there. There aren't many people that are massively springing out that I might include. Um, potentially uh, Dan and Lundeloo when he came in, particularly when he was at Cheltenham before he moved to Bolton. And maybe another one I would have included if he hadn't moved in January would have been Anis Mehmeti of Wickham. He was absolutely fantastic when he played uh, for the chair boys and, and understandably got a uh, big move up to Bristol City. I definitely would have included him. Absolutely everything that Wickham seemed to do well at the beginning of the campaign seemed to go through him. So, with a few minutes left to go, we'll take a quick look at the League 2 team of the season as well. Unsurprisingly, Manager of the Year went to Richie Wellens of Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient quietly just absolutely demolished League 2 this year. And unsurprisingly, there's quite a few players in the inclusion in there as well. Including goalkeeper Lawrence Vigoro, who was absolutely excellent throughout, kept out plenty of shutouts, and has been at Leighton Orient for quite some time now. So, a nice way to reward his loyalty. Maybe another person that might have been in uh, well within their right to be included probably was Thomas Holy of Carlisle he was also very very good this year right back Junior Tishmadu of Colchester United really really good to see him included despite the fact that Colchester were really quite naff for most of this year a really impressive and the most impressive thing is actually how young Junior Tishmadu is whilst playing and quietly just going about his with Saturn League 2 I think I think he's something like 19 and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him eventually having a very strong championship career Left back is the Salford City captain of Ibu Torre. Very, very good player in there. Um, obviously, he's in the team of the season. It go, kind of goes without saying, but plenty of assists uh, and plenty of leadership that's really taken a very young Salford City side uh, up through uh, the league this year to only just obviously just missing out on the playoff final. Um, him and Michael Smith were probably the only two that... Uh, Matt Smith, sorry, Michael Smith plays for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Matt Smith are probably the two older players in the very young Salford side with the likes of uh, Gilgra, Ethan Galbraith and Louis Barry and things like that. Centre-backs, two, most certainly two further leaders. One, the Stevenage captain, Carl Piergiani, who was fantastic. The amount of times I got to say his name because he popped up with a goal for the promoted side was very, very nice. And Omar Beckles of Leighton Orient, also a very exciting one there. Both a leader on the field and off the field, of course, as he is the head of the Players, uh, Players Association, I think it is. Midfielders, uh, central midfielders of Elliot Watt of Salford City and Owen Moxon of Carlisle United. I couldn't agree more with these two. Elliot Watt completely ran a very decent engine room for Salford City there. Allowed his uh, flair players, the likes of Lou Barry, who we've already mentioned, to really thrive uh, in, in the Greater Manchester area. And Owen Moxon, um, one of their own, as I heard multiple times over the course of uh, Saturday's game at Carlisle United. Really, really fantastic there. Main set-piece taker. Um, really drive the site. So impressive for a guy, again, who's actually really quite young. Quite a lot of young talent there that's really standing out in the lower echelons of English football. 
wingers um, of Mitch Pinnock and Idris El Mazzouni. Idris El Mazzouni of Lake Norrient, Mitch Pinnock of Northampton Town. Kind of fairly obvious there. I think both of them have been really, really excellent. You might actually argue that this is probably maybe a spin of a 4-3-3 as opposed to two 4-4-2s we have before. As you put Mitch Pinnock on one wing, Idris El Mazzouni into midfield, and on the other wing, you would have former Glover and uh, Northampton Town teammate Sam Hoskins. Plenty of goals here. Really, really impressive one. Um, a fantastic for a player that I really liked when he played for Yeovil, but has really gone strength to strength whilst playing in Northampton and has now made well over 250 league appearances for the Cobblers. Up front, it really could only be one man, and that was the league's leading goal scorer and a very powerful target man, Andy Cook of Bradford City. So... That brings us to the end of the final EFL preview this season. A slightly different one, of course. Of course, there's not been that many games to talk about, but plenty of depth given to all three. And then a little bit extra when we went through the teams of the season. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope you did too. Of course, if there's anything you'd like included for next season on the EFL preview, please be sure to get in contact. Um, I'd really look forward to being able to implement anything new into the programme, as much it's your programme as it is mine. So, with that in mind, I hope you have a lovely bank holiday weekend watching all three finals. I'll be back early next week to cover the uh, what happened with all three and see who will be playing in a new division next year. So, once again, have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much and goodbye. <laughs>